Hey friend, it's Jessica. Welcome back to Guru, please. So today's episode is a really fun one with Kendra Perry, who's a coach, a business coach for health coaches. This episode is perfect if you have your own business, if you have an online business, if you're a coach, or if you're just generally interested in the principles of business and learning about money mindset, imposter syndrome, and how to value yourself and your work. We also go into what she does for her own health, being a former health coach, including how she takes care of her physical and emotional health. She's got a style that I would say is real, no BS, very straightforward. And so if you're into that vibe, keep listening. Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Kendra Perry. Kendra is a former functional health coach turned online business strategist. She's helped over 200 health coaches grow their practices, attract clients, and blow up their bank accounts. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on, and I wanted to get started by asking you how the industry looks right now in terms of what health coaches are facing during COVID-19. Well, I actually think it's a time for health coaches to shine because, you know, with all this craziness going on lately, I think people are thinking about their health. Unfortunately, I think the mainstream media does a really poor job of helping people take responsibility for their own health. But I do think people are considering their health, maybe their immune system more than they were before. And I think that's really where health coaches can come in because despite what, (laughs) despite what the government tells you, you need to be healthy. You actually need a lot of things to be healthy, right? You need to consider diet and sleep and uh, exercise and happiness and sunlight and all these things. And I really think that's where health coaches can really help people take responsibility for their own health, feel better overall, and just lead more healthy lifestyles. Yeah, got it. And you show health coaches how to really jumpstart their business, even from scratch with no money. How does one do that? Like, what are, Is there a step-by-step process or does it kind of depend on who you're talking to? Yeah. So, I mean, I love the idea of building an online health coaching business because you can start it with very little money. I probably started my business when I was a health coach for less than $300. So it's nice because you don't have to have a lot of money in the bank. And I was actually in a bit of debt when I started my business. Now there are, depending on who you talk to, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can build a business, but I think there is a step-by-step process. It's actually something I teach. Uh, We sort of chatted about it before we started recording. It's called the health accelerator, health coach accelerator method. And it's basically the steps that I believe coaches and like health coaches, but any real online coach. Cause I think when it comes to building a business, sustainability is key. Mm -hmm. A lot of people build businesses that they end up hating or that end up burning them out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work, right? So if we're going to have ability, in my opinion. And how do you create something that is sustainable? So there are a few really key things for sustainability. And I think one of the first things is identity. So really knowing who you're talking to, because I think a lot of health coaches, they go get their health coach certification. This is probably true for other industries. And then they're like, great, I'm so passionate about this. I bet I'm just going to tell the world I do this and people are going to come running and it doesn't really work like that. And when you're trying to help everyone and you're trying to talk to a million different people, your messaging really gets diluted and you often feel really all over the place, right? You are trying to create too many different types of content. You're really confused about what you're supposed to be offering and what you're supposed to be creating. And I think that can lead to a really poor, uh, sustainable business model. So that identity piece, getting really specific with who you're talking to is really, really important. Now, the next thing in terms of sustainability is moving away from selling like one-off sessions or single sessions and actually creating a method or a system or a framework, right? Something that your business is known for. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, if we're just selling single sessions, Uh, we have to sell a lot of them, right? And we get very little commitment from the client, right? Because they're not paying much for that. And there's a good chance that 
you're not going to get return customers, right? Mm -hmm. So when you sell a method or a system or a framework in kind of package it nicely into a program, you have to sell a lot less. And so you're hustling a lot less for clients. And when you actually sign a client, they're paying more money. So they're getting that commitment, which is great because the people who are committed are going to get the results. Right. And then, you know, you actually get that client, that transformation. And when we actually get someone a transformation, obviously they're going to recommend us. They're going to refer us and possibly the hope is they're going to want to continue to work with us. And we want to create a business model that really focuses on return customers and customer loyalty. We don't want to keep having to hustle to find new people when we could really just resell to the people we already have. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of what you show coaches is, is kind of like switching their mindset about certain things. It takes a different way of thinking about a business to go from one-off products to, you know, creating a more long-term system or a program for people. And that would make a really big difference in their business as a big picture moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is a hard shift probably because a lot of us, that's the business model we've likely experienced within health and wellness, right? Like we go see a naturopath, we go see a Chinese medicine doctor, we go to an osteopathic doctor. We're, we're buying one session. We're yeah. typically not buying multiple sessions at, at a time. So I feel like for health coaches, they put themselves into that sort of box where they think that that's the business model that they're supposed to be following. Mm -hmm. But I think a big problem with this is that typically health coaches are going to be unlicensed. Whereas your naturopathic doctor, your Chinese medicine doctor, your osteopathic doctor, they're licensed. And a lot of people's extended health coverage will actually cover the cost. But right. those people can rely on just that alone to get them busy, right? They don't typically have to do a lot of marketing. They can just kind of be the go-to person just because people are always happy when they don't have to pay for things. Right. Mm -hmm. But of course with unlicensed professionals like health coaches and other types of health and wellness practitioners, we can't rely on that. And therefore you have to do a lot of marketing. You have to really put effort into that. So if you're just selling that one off session, you're kind of mm -hmm. just burning yourself into the ground. Yeah. And you teach what you call the no BS approach for health coaches and practitioners. Mm -hmm. What is the BS that is out there? Yeah. So, I mean, my personality is kind of blunt. I don't like to sugarcoat things. Like I'm a bit harsh, I guess, in the way I teach things. Like I'm not a nurturer. I'm not a coddler. I like to just tell people upfront what I think about things and what I think about what they're doing. So that's basically what I'm referring to with the no BS approach. And there's nothing wrong with being more soft and more nurturing and coddling a little bit more, but it's just not really my style. I just don't, I don't like to dance around things. So if you, you want to know what I think, I will tell you. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that some take that better than others. Yeah, totally. And I think for people who aren't into that, I'm just not their person and that's totally okay, right? We can't make everyone happy. And, you know, for me, it's really important to run my business with authenticity and integrity. And truly that's, that's who I am. If you hung out with me in person, like that's kind of my personality. So I find it much easier to just be myself rather than pretend to be someone I'm not, right? Do you feel like you are the same person when you're operating your business versus outside of the business? Yeah, I would say to some degree, obviously how I am online and in my business is, is really just a piece of who I am. I think we're all very complex individuals with a lot of different layers to our personality and who we are. And, you know, we can't truly bring across everything that we are into mm -hmm. sort of this online platform, this online sort of medium that we portray ourselves in. But I would say that it's very aligned, right? Um, who I am online is, is a very strong piece of who I am offline. Gotcha. And because you used to be a health coach, you see kind of the mistakes that people are making or things that they can improve upon or like optimize. What drives you to do what you do now? Like what gets you excited in the morning when you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm going to keep going in my business? So I think health coaching is literally the key to saving the planet, which sounds kind of crazy, but I really truly believe that because, you know, we're, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of craziness going on in the world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. Um, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, you know, division and people attacking people. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but I think having a really strong health and foundation of who you are and being healthy and feeling good when you wake up and understanding how to manage your nervous system and your emotions, like these are all really important pieces to people being their best possible selves, right? And I really think health coaches, that's what they help people do. They help people not only, you know, with their physical health, but with their emotional health and a lot of times when we improve our physical health, it really does carry over into our emotions and how we perceive the world. You know, personally, when I wasn't doing so good with my health, I felt really anxious. I felt really angry. I had a hard time, you know, being social. So I would drink a lot. I would do a lot of drugs in order to gain that confidence that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And when I shifted things with my health, you know, physically with diet and sleep and exercise, but also with you know, learning how to manage my emotions and addressing trauma and that sort of thing. Like it really shifted how I show up in the world and Mm -hmm. how I treat people, how I view people and how I feel on a daily basis. So I really believe that if people can address those things about their health, it, it will truly shift the global consciousness of the planet. Yeah, I would definitely agree. People are quite ill and that seems to be normal in society or at the very least not something we particularly focus on and Mm -hmm. just allow to become like more like chronic conditions that if unaddressed will will only kind of grow in severity how are you taking care of your health now like do you have daily practices or weekly things that you do Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not a super strict routine person. Um, I sort of have like a menu of which I choose from daily in terms of self-care, but you know, I'm really focused on eating really healthy food. I'm very lucky in the local community that I live in. There's a lot of farmers, there's a lot of local growers. So I do eat the majority of my food from local sources, which I feel really helps me stay balanced. And I'm a very passionate outdoor enthusiast. I spend a lot of time in the mountains, on the water, and I have very easy access to these things. So I'm a very sort of privileged and lucky individual. But, you know, after our call today, I'll I'll go out on my paddleboard on the lake and, you know, get that outside time. So I get a lot of sunlight. I get a lot of natural outdoor time. I really focus on my eating habits. I'm a Nazi about sleep. (laughs) I just like, I want to be in bed by sort of like between nine and 10 every night. Um, that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've worked a lot on my emotional health. Like, you know, it's really important for me to meditate, uh, to do breath work in the morning, to get outside and to journal. You know, I see a couple different counselors and energy healers regularly because, you know, we all got our, we all got our crap, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. I love that you do bring up that emotional piece and it's not just like physical bodily health. And I do want to kind of talk about creating boundaries, protecting your energy. What does that mean? What is that? What could that look like? So I think we have two types of boundaries, right? We have boundaries with other people and we have boundaries with ourselves. And I think boundaries are are a challenge for everyone because not only do we have to know what our boundaries are, and typically we don't learn what our boundaries are until they've been broken, but we also have to follow through with the consequence of that boundary being broken. So this is really important in business because, you know, and also in personal life, but like if you're going to have someone, if you're going to have a boundary and you're going to stick to it, you not only need to know it, but you need to express it to the other person what that boundary is. And then if that person breaks that boundary, you actually need to follow through with the consequence, right? So I'm going to use kind of a random example, but let's say a boundary is that you don't smoke inside my house, right? Mm -hmm. And then you come to my house and you light up a cigarette. And I've told you that, hey, like you don't smoke inside my house. If you want to smoke, you go outside. So I've stated the boundary, but now you're inside, you're smoking the cigarette. Mm -hmm. If I don't follow through with the consequence of that boundary, which means that I'm kicking you out of my house, then you're going to continue to break that boundary over and over again, because I haven't stood strong against that boundary. Right. Right. So I think there's a few layers to boundaries, but I think too, within our society, we are conditioned to be like, yes, people to say yes to everything. And we feel bad when we say no. Uh, we're people pleasers, right? We want to make everyone happy. I think that's especially true for women. And the problem with that is if we say yes to everyone, then we're saying no to the things that maybe we actually want to do and the things that actually want to 
that actually make us happy because the truth is we do have limited time in the day. Mm-hmm. So I think creating really strong boundaries with the people around you is really important, but also figuring out what your personal boundaries are because I think we overstep boundaries within ourselves a lot. And when it comes to creating boundaries, the way that we can figure out what our boundaries are is to determine what our core values are, right? Like what's really important to us mm-hmm. and what are our non-negotiables? Like there's going to be, you know, five to 10 really core values that are really important to us. And if, if anyone in the audience wants to do this exercise, you can just Google, you know, list of core values, find like hundreds of core values and choose, you know, your top five to 10. And then anytime you're presented with an opportunity in business, or maybe someone asking you to do something in your personal life, mm-hmm. you can ask yourself, well, does this align with my values? Because if it doesn't, it's really not something you should be doing. Right, right. And sometimes it's kind of hard to turn something down because maybe society tells us, well, this is something you do want to do. Yeah. And I think society really conditions us to be workaholics, right? To be overachievers and to be busy. Like how, how often do you ask someone, how are you doing? And they say busy. It drives me crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I asked how you were. Like I want to know, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, oh, I'm really busy. You know, if you're busy, some people like being busy, but if you're busy and you don't like being busy, you have no one to blame but yourself. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's certain circumstances that we can't help. And maybe in the times of COVID, it's not necessarily people's fault, especially moms, right? Moms who have mm-hmm. to homeschool their children and build a business at the same time. Um, you know, maybe there's an exception there, but um, we do really have to whittle down our priorities. And it's difficult because we do feel like we're letting people down or we mm-hmm. do get FOMO, right? Fear of yeah. missing out. Yeah. And in business, maybe we feel like we're going to miss out on money. And I think in business, it's a really tough thing because we're often presented with opportunities that will give us money in the short term, but may, may not help us reach our goals in the long term. And you know you are a true entrepreneur and you're on your way to being successful when you start turning down money in order to pursue your long-term goals in your business. Mm-hmm. And do you help people kind of identify those long-term goals? upfront when they're really just starting out? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really core piece of branding, right? And this is sort of the identity piece of my health coach accelerator program. In order for you to be properly branded, you got to know who you are, which means you need to know your values and you need to know your goals for the future, right? Hmm. If you, for example, if you come follow me on Instagram, you'll get a really good idea from just watching like, you know, a few of my stories, like, what's important to me and what my values are, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that really oozes through my personal brand. And you'll also have a good idea of what my goals are, right? You'll hear me talk about wanting to shift the collective consciousness with health coaching. And you'll talk about the goals that I have for my clients. And so I think that's really important because that's how people are ultimately going to connect to us, connect with us, right? Because Mm -hmm. they are going to connect with people of similar values and they're going to potentially really resonate with your goal. Yeah. It does come back to who are you? What Mm -hmm. values are you promoting through having a business? Why are you even doing this? What's, what's in it for you? Absolutely. And it's, branding is a tough thing because I think a lot of us just don't know who we are. Right. Right. This was my thing too, right? When I started my business, I had no idea that building a business was such a deep dive into personal development. It's literally Mm. like the most complex course in personal development you will ever do. And really building a business is about finding out more of who you are and what you want to portray to the world and how you want to show up. And it takes time, right? And obviously our personalities and who we are evolves over time. And so does our business and our brand, right? It's not a static Mm -hmm. thing, but when I teach branding, it's hard for people because it's a deep dive into like, well, who are you, right? Like, what's your personality? Like, why do people love you? Why do people want to hang out with you? Right. It takes a lot of vulnerability and wanting to share who you are. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And like one of your Instagram posts, uh, it just caught my attention. But what if your content offends someone or disappoints your mom? (laughs) You know, I think a lot of us have that conundrum come up like, oh, I I really want to share this, but not to, you know, my aunt or not to like that one friend back in high school who we hung out, you know, a couple of times, right? What's 
what's your advice on that? Yeah. So I think it really comes down to getting really laser focused on what you're here to do and who you're here to help. Right. Mm -hmm. My mom is not my ideal client. I love my mom. She's not my ideal client. My mom hates that. I swear. She's not my ideal client. Right. <laughs> so, and she's like, Oh honey, I love your stuff, but I just wish you wouldn't swear so much. And I'm like, mom, like, that's just not like, you're not my ideal client. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think we have to get really devoted uh, to the people who we want to serve and forget about the other people. And it's hard because ultimately, I think a lot of us are afraid of judgment, right? We don't want to be judged. But the problem is, is that everyone judges all the time. Like we're both judging each other right now. And everyone who's listening is judging us and they're judging other people. And, you know, we just judge. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. We just all view the world a little bit differently based on the experience that we've had in our life. And no matter how you show up online, whether you try to be the least offensive person possible, you're still going to get judged and someone's probably going to be offended. It's just, we can't control other people's perceptions of us and we can't control what they think of us. And, and truly what people think of us is none of our business anyways. But if we can really let go of our care of judgment, then we will truly be free to just, you know, support the people that we show up to support. And, you know, it's tough because, you know, there's going to be people in your audience who don't like what you're doing. And even if you try to please everyone, people are still not going to like it. So it's really just best to show up and teach what you want to teach, show up as who you are and try to just be okay with the fact that some people aren't going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So really focusing in on, well, who do I want to reach and knowing that not everyone is in that category probably maybe even most people aren't going to be like the ideal client yeah totally and it takes time to sort of whittle down your ideal client over time and really start to attract those people and typically when we first start out we might have a mismatch of people in our audience and as we get more specific and learn more about who we're trying to help like those people are gonna unfollow us and that's mm -hmm. just the way it is and it's completely okay mm, i see i see what other things are people running into really like mental challenges and obstacles that with with kind of a mindset shift we can we can just do better in our businesses and, and feel more secure and, and feel like we're taking it somewhere yeah so in terms of blocks i mean there's just so many different mindset blocks i really think that mindset is like the key to be able to running a successful business mm -hmm. i I've heard someone say this, I don't know what it's based off, but I've heard that it's 80% mindset, 20% strategy, and I 100% agree. It's why I, in my health coach accelerator program, I start with the mindset because I'm like, we got to get the mindset first. You got to at least become aware of these blocks. But I think money mindset is a really big block that people come across, especially in health and wellness, because most coaches, most health coaches, health practitioners decide to pursue this profession because they had their own struggle. It's definitely true yeah. for me. Yeah. The reason how I, I didn't mean to get so obsessed with health and wellness. I just really struggled personally with my health. And that is true for a lot of people who are doing this. Like either personally, they had an experience, maybe a spouse or a child. And so I don't know if a lot of health coaches become health coaches necessarily to get rich and make money. I mean, I sort of did, but I think a lot of people, they want to help first and foremost. Yeah. And there might be this kind of sliminess that they feel when it comes to taking money for people who need help. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of money mindset things. So I find a lot of health coaches really undervalue their services. They charge way too low or they assume that their clients can't afford things. I mean, I don't know if you've heard this a lot, but I hear this all the time in business. Well, my clients can't afford that. So maybe let them decide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, don't become a fortune teller. Like you don't actually know what's inside your client's bank account. Like the only bank account that you truly know is yours. And that's the only one that you should be focused on, right? You don't know. It's not up to you to determine what they can and cannot afford. And some people who are very unassuming can actually afford a lot. And the truth is people will pay for what they see value in. I mean, right. people spend a ton of money on stupid crap all the time, right? Yeah, and this uh, is health we're talking about. Yeah, and so 
if you are coming up across the block of people telling you they can't afford to work with you, that is actually a huge red flag that you are not doing a good job of selling it to them. Right. Hmm. Um, so they don't understand the value. They don't understand the value, how the value of what you're offering is worth the money that you're asking. So it means you need to learn more about sales, but you know, it's all about a value thing. And, and the truth is, um, I think any person who's been in business, we've had the experience of charging a really low price and then getting a really crappy client, right? Yeah. Either they're not committed, they don't do the work or they're really high maintenance. Like I honestly feel that the less people pay, the higher maintenance they tend to be. Like some of my clients who have paid really high ticket prices, I never hear from them because they just like take my advice and they run with it, right? Because they're really committed. And so I think there's a huge argument to be made about undercharging because you don't want to attract people who aren't committed. You don't want to attract people who drive you crazy. So mm-hmm. you got to find that sweet spot. You got to charge what you're worth and you want to make sure that it's enough money that it hurts a little when people give it away because that's going to help them be more committed to the program that you ultimately bring them through. Exactly. Yeah. Did you face kind of those money mindset obstacles or was there something else that was something that held you back for a bit until you made these mindset shifts? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the first program I ever sold, I I believe it was $500 and eventually it became a $5,000 program. It was the same program, right? Mm -hmm. It is really hard in the beginning because you, you don't really have any framework or anything to compare it for, right? Because I typically, all I had to compare it with was that trade time for money business model, like $100 an hour or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard because, and it's really a huge struggle because you're just like, well, I don't know what to charge. Like, how do I know what this is worth, right? Mm-hmm. And definitely in the beginning, and I, I've spoken about this to my audience a little bit, my first client was, she used to show up to appointments. This is when I had an office, when I was working in person with people, she used to show up to sessions with Mars bars and big like liters of chocolate milk. And I was okay. like, oh my God, what, what's going on here? Like, I just, she's like, oh, I just didn't have time and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I don't know why we're doing this. Like, I felt like I was wasting my time. I felt like I had wasted her money and and she didn't get results and ended up dropping off. And and I mean, that didn't feel good. Right. Um, It really felt really crappy. So I did feel really uncomfortable with charging. And even to this day, I mean, every time I create a new program, I struggle with what I'm going to charge for it. Um, I think it's an ongoing thing to figure out, well, what is something actually worth? But I think it, just because you chose a price today doesn't mean that's set in stone and that's the price you're always going to have as time goes on. You can raise it. And I do recommend starting somewhere. And I find that it, it it's good if you can find something that you can say confidently. So like your voice doesn't crack when you say it <laughs> confidently, right? But it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's just a little bit outside your comfort zone. Start there and then raise your price every few clients you work with because with every few clients, more experience, and you are actually very justified in raising your prices. Mm, yeah. So kind of challenge yourself, but also know that it can change. And once the program really, you know, gets going and you tweak it, it's going to be worth more. Yeah, absolutely. And you will tweak it over time. You'll get more experience. And, you know, it's really important. Something I want to mention is it's really important to price realistically. Cause I think a lot of health coaches in general, they just don't do the math. They're like, well, I'm going to charge $500 for this program. And then they have this goal of making 5k a month. But when they do the math, they actually have to get, you know, 10 clients a month, which kind of is a lot, right? Depending on what that program looks like. For me, it was a lot because that was like a very comprehensive three month program. Right. Mm-hmm. So that meant at any given time, I was going to be juggling 30 clients which is a lot, right? When you still have to create content and, you know, schedule and do the admin stuff, do customer service, show up on social media, grow your email list, all these things. And I find when coaches actually sit down and figure out, well, what are my expenses? What do I need to make? What do I want to make? You know, what do I need for those extras? Okay. What's the cost of my program and how many do I need to sell and how many hours is that going to be? It doesn't even make sense. Mm. You know, and that's why you shouldn't be pricing based on what what someone else is charging because we all have different needs and expenses, right? So in that scenario, would you say that they're charging too little? Yeah, totally. I always think, you know, you got to figure out, well, how many clients is it realistic for you to juggle 
at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, and 30 clients is a lot of clients, a lot of people to support through email, however you're supporting to remember, to keep in mind, to do admin for, right? Like that's a lot. Like, so you got to figure out like, what's that going to, what is that going to look like? Because it's really easy to just overwork yourself and end up hating your business and, and resenting your clients. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So really doing that math and seeing like, again, aligning with your long-term goals. Mm-hmm what we talked about with the money mindset piece. I mean, I'm getting a sense that it can often come down to a worthiness issue. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think um, self-worth is a really big issue in business and like that, you know, having a sort of low value perception of yourself. Mm. And I think that really comes down to the random things we downloaded as children, right? And throughout our lifetime that makes us feel like we're not good enough. Right. I think it, it it really plays a big role in business. And for some people, it's just hard for them to wrap their mind around like being worth that much. Like I'm worth charging a thousand dollars for my program. Like what? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially switching from the trading time for, for Mm -hmm. dollars mindset. Yeah. And I think um, like imposter syndrome can really come into this as well. Right. Like just feeling like I, you know, who am I? to be able to charge this much and be able to call myself an expert in this field. And I think this really shows up for people working in health and wellness, because, you know, if we go back to the fact that a lot of health and wellness practitioners have had their own personal health struggle, Mm -hmm. usually they haven't fully resolved it by the time they start their business. Usually they're still in it. Um, They've usually seen improvement, but the fact that they haven't a hundred percent resolved the issue that they have that they're helping other people resolve often makes them feel like, well, they're not good enough to be able to teach, teach about it and educate on it. Yeah. Yeah. Really the feeling like an imposter mm-hmm. is very isolating and very negative state to be in just because it's hard to talk about with other people. Yeah. And I don't think coaches always know that what they what is going on is imposter syndrome, but Mm -hmm. I would say a really good way to identify it is this feeling to keep getting more health certifications, right? Ah, okay. Usually you get your first health certification, which, you know, is necessary. You usually want to get one, but they feel like, oh, well, I don't know enough. So I need to take this other continuing education course, or I need to take this other health certification. So instead of actually just learning business, and learning how to run a business, they keep taking more and more health certifications, mm-hmm. believing that that's going to give them confidence and make them feel like less of a, an imposter. But yeah. the problem with that is the only thing that gives people confidence is experience and courses don't give you experience. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. So, and I know we mentioned kind of the emotional health aspect to kind of living holistically well how do we resolve these childhood things and these traumas and what does it take to overcome them yeah and i will uh, you know my disclaimer is i'm definitely not an expert on sort of like these child traumas but i can talk a little bit about what has worked for me mm-hmm. um i am not a massive fan of talk therapy uh, i think it's helpful to help maybe identify uh triggers and maybe what you're struggling with but I don't know if talk therapy really helps with that release component. And I think oftentimes we just need to let things go and release them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something that has helped me a lot is breath work. I love breath work because it it energizes me. It gives me energy, but you can have a really big emotional release without really needing to know what you just released. Interesting. And I like that because I don't think we always need to know. Sometimes we just need to let it go. I got into breathwork with Marcel Hoff. He's the brother of Wim Hoff, the Iceman mm-hmm. dude. I got into that for a while. I find his breathwork really energizing. And then I eventually uh, came upon Samantha Skelly. I highly recommend her for breathwork. And I did this um, four-hour workshop thing that she put on one weekend when it was rainy and I was injured from mountain biking. Mm-hmm. And I had this incredibly intense emotional release where I was like, for like 40 minutes, where I was wow. just crying and I could feel, I felt lighter after I did that. And I have no idea what I released, but I feel different because of it. So I really like that because I don't think we always need to keep drudging up the past and talking about the trauma over and over and over again, when sometimes we can just let it go and be done with it. Wow. Yeah. I, 
I didn't even know it was possible to let something go without knowing what exactly that was. But Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, we can't really know everything that happened. I mean, and and explain it, you know, because sometimes it just, it's beyond explanation or, you know, we'll never drudge up that the causes, I guess. Yeah, I think sometimes we're just, it's so deeply within our psyche and our, our subconscious. And also, I think for some people, the trauma is really painful to bring up, right? Like, do we need, really keep need to keep reliving this trauma over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, I've had a lot of success with something called EMDR. I'm going to, I might butcher this, but it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's basically just you can kind of think of it, it, it basically you go into your brain and you unpack your own trauma and sort of disassociate from it. So for example, if I, um, you know, maybe I had a big accident and I broke my arm really horribly. And now when I tell you about breaking my arm, I get really emotional and upset about it and it triggers me. So it's kind of like, even though it, it's not happening anymore, my body thinks it's still happening, right? EMDR can help you sort of dissociate from that so that I can talk about this time that I broke my arm, but I don't get emotional about it. It's very like matter of fact, like, yeah, I had this horrible fall. I broke my arm in like five different places and yeah, it sucked, but that was that. And so that's a really powerful method as well. And it uses the movement of eyes in order to kind of go into the brain and unpack some of the stuff and disconnect from it. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. These kinds of techniques and things, I would say they're alternative. I would say like talk therapy is certainly the more accepted way of how things are done, but it doesn't work for everyone. I mean, I don't even know if it works for most people. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I've had some, you know, when I first got into therapy and counseling, that's what I initially did. And it was helpful. It did help me just understand myself a little bit more. And the counselor helped me see where my triggers were and, you know, how to kind of talk myself off the ledge and that sort of thing. But at some point I got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Uh, mm. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but <laughs> it's all good. It just happened. You know, I was like, I'm just done with talking about this. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like how much do I need to talk about this before? Like it, it's just too much. Right. And so that's where I started getting interested in more like energy work, energy healing, breath work, that sort of thing. Yeah, I see. Cause it was time for you to kind of transcend that or go beyond that like it helped but to a to a point and then after that yeah yeah absolutely let's talk about how to find opportunities in every failure and i do want to dive into maybe one of your failures and see what opportunities came of that yeah so i think we totally need this complete reframe around failure mm-hmm. because failure is kind of a dirty word and it it is the reason why people don't pursue their dreams or don't do certain things because they have this fear of failure, right? Yeah. I kind of challenge people to switch failure and just call it information or testing in a way, right? Because with every failure we learn, and I truly believe that you can only fail if you don't learn from your failures, right? Mm-hmm. None of us are doing things perfectly. We're just kind of trying to navigate this thing called life and, you know, figure it out. And we make a lot of mistakes along the way and that's completely okay. And in terms of business, failure is absolutely necessary if you are going to succeed, right? None of us can create a perfect business behind the scenes and then launch it to the world and expect people to just buy our stuff, right? It doesn't work like that. And Mm -hmm. even if you get a mentor, even if you take all the courses, uh, everyone's business is a little bit different and you got to really figure out what works for you. So every time we fail, we really need to just look at it as information, right? Okay. Why didn't that go the way I wanted it to? You know, what was the reason? How can I make it better for next time? How can I tweak things and try something different for next time, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of my own failure, I'll I'll speak to one in business that uh, was really significant for me. But so I started out as a health coach and I was working uh, one-on-one with clients. And I always knew that I didn't want that to be my business model. I wanted to have courses. I wanted to have a group program. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to launch my first group program And I spent probably six to eight months creating it. I worked weekends. I 
I annoyed my significant other because I was working all the time and being a total workaholic. And when it came time to launch it, I spent all this money on ads. I had this webinar and everything actually went really well. The ad did really well. I had a good attendance on my webinar. I got lots of good feedback. And once the webinar ended, I, I didn't have any sales. I didn't make any sales. And in the end of that launch, I probably made, I think I may have made like two sales or three sales, which was definitely not enough to cover Everything. the amount of money and time I'd put into it because I spent thousands of dollars. And that was really frustrating because at the time, it didn't even occur to me that I was not, that that was not going to go well. I was 100% convinced I was going to make $15,000 mm -hmm. and it just didn't go that way. So I relaunched this program three more times and I just didn't make sales and it, it was a failure. Uh, it just, I couldn't make people buy this program. And I was really disheartened because I really felt like it was going to be. And so I ended up just going back to working with one-on-one -on -one clients and I was like, oh, well, maybe this is just really what I have to do. But at some point I decided to go back and just really look at that. Like, why didn't this go well? Mm -hmm. And I hired a coach who helped me determine like what hadn't gone well, the reason why it didn't really land with my people. And so I was able to actually learn from that experience and learn why people weren't interested in what I had to offer. And that information allowed me to, one of my launches has been successful, but I wouldn't have been able to do it without that first launch that really didn't go the way I wanted it to. What compelled you to go back and to take a hard look at it? Because I can imagine that was very painful of an experience and just kind of hard to swallow. Yeah, I think it was the fact that I really didn't want to work with one-on-one -on -one clients. It just it was never my zone of genius. I do work with a few one-on-one -on -one clients, but I like to work with very few of them, very few, very targeted, very ideal clients. And I just really wanted it. Like, I just really wanted that to be my business model, to have a group program or a course. And I just couldn't feel happy without it. So I had to ultimately go back and like face the reasons why I wasn't successful that first time. I guess it kind of harkens back to what you mentioned before of selling value. Mm -hmm. The reason people may not be buying is they don't necessarily see the value of it. Was that kind of the lesson you took away from that or was there something else as well? Yeah, definitely value was an issue. I think one of the biggest things was I was trying to sell my audience what they needed and not what they wanted. And there's usually mm. a disconnect there, right? Um, you might know what your audience needs, but they are not going to care about what you're offering unless it gives them what they want. Right. Yeah. So I was basically just, you know, like I knew what they needed and they did need it, but it's not actually what they wanted. So there was a disconnect there. And so when it comes to messaging and marketing, we always have to basically market them from a place of what they actually want. And then once they're inside, we can give them what they need, but if it's not what they want, they just won't connect with it. So like, well, I don't want that. I want this, right? We can't just market eating healthy when people truly just want to lose weight as an example, right? We have to kind of hit them with the weight loss, but when they come into our program, we're like, well, if you want to get the weight loss, you got to eat this healthy diet or whatever, right? So that was a big part of it in terms of uh, selling. I focused too much on features versus benefits. So the features are sort of like, oh, you get six video modules, you get two coaching calls a month, you get email support. Like those are features. They're what makes up a program, but they're not what sells it because people don't often understand how that feature actually leads them to ultimately what they want. Mm. So we need to solve from a value and benefit outcome perspective. So we have to show people how their life is going to look like if they invest in what we're offering, right? We don't just want to try to sell them, oh, you get a 60-minute consult and a bunch of follow-ups. They're like, great. Okay. We want to tell them like, no, if you come through my program, you're going to be able to lose that spare tire around your waist so you can fit into your skinny jeans, feel confident, and not feel ashamed when you, you know, when you're out there online dating, tindering or whatever, right? Yeah. And I can imagine that it, it takes a certain way of thinking to kind of enter the client's mind and kind of leave your own behind. Because for you, that is what you're building is the package and, and the features. But to think from somebody else's perspective, like that, that's a different kind of work. 
Absolutely. And I think it really comes down to the fact that like people really need to understand that when you build a business, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about who you are trying to help. And you need to know them really intimately. You need to know them really well. You need to know what their pain is, what their struggles are, how they're thinking, how they perceive things, you know, how they view the world, how they wake up in the morning. Like you got to really know them Mm -hmm. in order to market to them. Right. So the more you can get to know your ideal client, the easier it will be to speak to them. How do you do that? Market research. (laughs) So this is probably one of like the most important things that uh, a new business owner should do, but they usually fail to do is do the market research, you know, get out there and try to have conversations with your ideal client. So if you can set up like three to five or even more interviews with someone who falls into that category of your ideal client and just chat with them, learn more about them, that can be incredibly powerful. There are probably a lot of Facebook groups out there where that help people who you want to help, right? Like for example, if you want to help women struggle with anxiety, I'm sure you can find anxiety support groups. You just want to go in there and be a fly on the wall, like read through the posts see how they're talking about things, see what they're struggling with. And it's also, you know, it's something you adapt over time too. The more you work with clients, the more you'll get to know them. And so your marketing and your messaging will shift and evolve over time. But you really got to get down and scrappy and do the dirty work and get to know these people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it does take time. And it sounds like a lot of people they used to be their ideal client because they just want to help people like them. But then over time, it probably shifts and it it does become somebody very different. Absolutely. And I think for anyone starting a business, it is probably the easiest to niche in something that you have experience with. You know, if you struggled with with fatigue, niche in fatigue, right? That will always be easier because you can always really empathize, right? Um, with the person because you understand what they've been through and that'll help them to connect to you. So that's definitely the easiest place to start. It's really easy if you are your own, your past self is your own ideal client. Of course, it's not going to make sense for everyone. Some people don't want to niche in the thing that they struggled with and that's fine. You don't need to go that direction, but Mm -hmm. it definitely makes things a lot easier if you do. Yeah. And what's interesting is what you said about what somebody wants versus what they need. And you know what they need, but they are only looking for what they want. Does it sometimes happen that what you provide actually doesn't actually give them what they need? Yeah. And I think there's always people who aren't going to get results and you're always going to make a mistake and maybe bring on someone who's not the right fit, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important, you know, if you're uh, selling people on a sales call, you know, you really want to make sure you understand what they want and if you can actually give that to them, right? Because sometimes you can learn a lot in that conversation and it might be that you have to refer them to someone else. But yeah, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be people who come through your program and they just don't get the result. And unfortunately, we're not in control of what our clients do when they're not with us, right? Um, They're their own people and you know, this is actually a really good example um, that I'd like to share. So I have this one, this is actually my last health coaching client. Um, I haven't taken on a new health coaching client in years, but there's this one woman who I have continued to work with. And she is someone I was working with for a couple years, just not getting results, like really committed, you know, really wanting to get the results, but just not getting the result and still feeling like crap. And it's really stumped me. And I've, I've tried to refer her out a few times, but she just really wants to continue working with me. So I, I was a bit stumped and I just couldn't understand why, you know, why she wasn't getting results. And then in a, a session, one session she came in and she's just like, yeah, like a lot has happened. Um, I've realized that I've been in complete denial, but I'm an alcoholic. Hmm. And so she had been drinking like, you know, excessively every single day, but she was in complete denial and she didn't think it was a problem. And she hadn't even disclosed it with me because when she told me this, I was like, oh my God, did I miss something? She's like, no, you didn't miss anything. Like I didn't tell you. And I just thought that was really telling because like, you know, meanwhile, I'm wondering, oh my God, I'm failing. I'm failing this person. I'm not able to help them. But like, we just don't ever really know what's truly going on in a person's life. Right. Wow. Yeah drinking excessively on a day-to-day basis is going to make you feel incredibly tired and crappy and anxious and all those things, right? Wow. Yeah. It's huge to kind of acknowledge how much we don't know and what 
like we'll just do what we know to do and what we do well and beyond that it's up to somebody else it's up to the client to get the results that they want you know Mm -hmm. yeah and I think um, you know we can only obviously help people who want to be helped but Mm -hmm. I think there is also some responsibility as coaches to ask the probing questions, right? To ask the right questions to figure out why someone's doing something that they're doing. You know, if somebody's coming home every day and just binging, we want to always dig deeper and figure out, well, what's triggering them? You know, like, why are they binging? Mm. Um, And what's causing that rather than just giving them more things to do or thinking it's their fault, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And understanding their motivations. And I think the why will drive the what, so... Yes. Yeah. And going back to what you said about business being the ultimate personal development course, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? Oh my gosh. I have learned so much. I've learned a lot about my triggers, I think, because when you kind of put yourself on the internet to a bunch of strangers to be judged, you ultimately get judged and you know, you get you get some hate and I've definitely gotten my share of hate. And I think something that I've really realized was, you know, a lot of the things I was getting triggered at online were related to childhood trauma, right? Or things that happened to me in high school, you know, and I still get it. Every time I launch something new, I become that teenage Kendra and I'm wondering, is anyone going to show up to my party? Is Mm -hmm. anyone going to come? And I, I feel really like, you know, insecure. And that used to really get me and it used to prevent me from launching in the past. But now I can just look at that and be like, oh yeah, there she is. There's high school Kendra, just worried about no one showing up to her party and it's okay. Like I can feel that and move on. Mm -hmm. That's been really helpful. And also just learning to manage my nervous system, you know, when you get hate from internet trolls, because it happens Mm -hmm. and it will happen to anyone who is online. And in the beginning, I'd get really upset. I take it really personally. I'd cry and I wouldn't be okay for a few days. Whereas now you know, I won't lie. It still makes me upset. I'm, I'm a sensitive person, but now I can like see it and be like, okay, this is triggering me. I, I realize that this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with this person and what happened to them today or what happened in their life. I can kind of walk away. I can kind of feel it, feel that kind of pain for a second and then just kind of let it wash through me and, and move on. So that's been really helpful too. Mm, yeah. Just let it, let it come for you know, however long, a few seconds, minutes, and then you can more easily let it go. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are really great skills to have. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was an amazing conversation, Kendra. I really appreciate just how authentic you are. And thank you for sharing about so many things, how to start a business, how to have a sustainable business and other things like boundaries, opportunities and failure, you know, your own motivations. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I always love talking about this stuff. So always happy to do it. <laughs>